Good morning again. Please turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 32. Uh, we are working our way through the Psalms, not hitting on every Psalm, but uh, hitting on a number of Psalms as we think about and look at uh, sort of Christian spirituality uh, in the book of Psalms. So Christian piety, what it looks like to relate to our Father as we see that uh, in the book of Psalms. And this morning we come to Psalm 32. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are plenty of Bibles on the tables just outside the door. Feel free to grab one, uh, use it for this service. Uh, And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home, uh, write your name in it, and uh, then bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Uh, Before we read Psalm 32, though, let's pray. Our Father, we we come to you, we come to your word that we might hear from you. And we pray, Father, that you would even now give us soft hearts, uh, hearts to believe what we hear, ears to hear, minds to understand. Uh, Enable us by your spirit to receive your word, to rest in it, to trust in Jesus our Savior, to uh, rejoice in the gospel. Uh, Father, we pray that that as we see Jesus in the scriptures, that we would be transformed, that we would uh, be changed into his image, uh, as as Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. And uh, Father, we we ask uh, that you would come, that you would be present, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 32. A Maskeel of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I want you to think of a time when you have gotten into an argument, especially a time when you've gotten into an argument with someone you really love. Maybe it was a friend, uh, maybe it was a spouse, maybe a a child or a parent, 
uh, but you got angry, you said some things that you shouldn't have said, you huffed and you puffed until you stormed off in a furious rage. Something like that. But then you calmed down and you began to feel this pit in your stomach. I mean, you knew you were wrong. You knew the things that you said were stupid. But you also knew that there was now this, this wall between you and the other person. Maybe you go a day or two just pretending that everything is okay. You sit down at the breakfast table the next morning, and uh, though the, the person is only on the other end of the table, they feel like they're on the other end of the world. The distance between you is so great, you, you don't even know how to cross it. And you just carry around this weight with you until somebody breaks the silence. And suddenly you say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. It was a stupid thing to say. Uh, I was angry. It was mean. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And the other person says, I forgive you. It's okay. I love you. It's water under the bridge, right? Let's just forget about it. Let's pretend it never happened. And the weight lifts. And you feel this joy even because everything is once again right with the world. Now, of course, not every situation ends like that, does it? Sometimes we dig in our heels. Sometimes we or they refuse to admit they're wrong. Sometimes we know we're wrong, but we just can't say the words. Why do we hide our sin? And our, our tendency is to hide our sin, to spin it, to excuse it, to make light of it, to blame it on somebody else. And I try to gloss over my sin or sweep it under the rug or ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist or pretend that I'm actually better than I really am. Why do we do that? Well, we don't want people to know us. That's part of it. We don't want people to know what's really in our hearts. We don't want to have to face ourselves, who we really are. We don't want to admit to ourselves. We don't want to admit to God what's really going on. We are afraid of being judged, whether by other people or by God himself. We are afraid of having to change. And if I admit that I'm wrong, I've got to start doing differently. Well, Psalm 32 commends honesty, confession, coming clean. And this is really the, the, the key theme of this psalm. It's found right there in the first two verses. The first two verses read like this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, we'll talk about the, the blessing of forgiveness in a few minutes, but for now, I want you to notice something that's actually a little odd about these verses. Uh, notice that there, there's, uh, there's some parallelism, parallelism here. There's some repetition. Uh, there are two blessings, each consisting of two parts. Uh, the two blessings are, are parallel. The two parts within each blessing are parallel. Um, Psalmist says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And notice there you have, you have three phrases, right? Three words for sin, three words for forgiveness, right? Transgression, sin, and iniquity is forgiven, covered, and not counted against the person. But then comes this fourth phrase, right? There are four phrases. 
In the fourth phrase, we expect it to be parallel somehow, but, it, but it's not. Verse 2 reads, uh, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Rather than a, a fourth word for sin and a fourth word for forgiveness, we find something said about the forgiven person. In his spirit, there is no deceit. Now, this clearly isn't saying that this person has never lied. Uh, the point is not about his overall integrity. He is a sinner, right, who has transgressed God's law, one of which is don't lie, and has committed iniquities. The point is this, that the, the blessed man, the happy man, as uh, some have translated that rightly, uh, the happy man is the one who is honest about his sin. The happy man is the one who is honest about his sin. He's not being deceptive about his sin. And the idea is picked up in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. It's picked up in verse 6, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. In the context, that's prayers of confession. So the psalm is about honesty. It's about confession. And yet, if, the, if you notice, the psalm begins with, with blessing or happiness, and it ends with joy and rejoicing. And then sprinkled in between those two things are the, these ideas of confession and honesty. And so the teaching of the psalm can actually be summed up in three words. Honesty brings joy. Or confession brings happiness. Now, if this is true, it brings us back to the question, why do we hide our sin? Because if confession brings joy, you would think that we would want to shout it from the rooftops. But we don't. Why? Well, there's an old saying, right? The devil is a liar. And there are certain lies that we believe that short-circuit confession, that cause us to put up walls. And Psalm 32 speaks into these, uh, and we'll look at these lies as we go, but we'll do that really by looking at four truths from Psalm 32 that encourage openness and honesty. Openness and honesty, even about the darkest parts of our souls. And so our outline, which walks us through these truths, you can find it on the back of your bulletin, is that uh, forgiveness brings joy. Silence brings misery. Honesty brings forgiveness. Therefore, now is the time for honesty, really, because now is the time for joy. So do not keep silent. Why? Number one, forgiveness brings joy. Confession seems morbid. I, I mean, you know, you might think all you Christians ever talk about is sin and repentance. Uh, it's just so depressing. Can't you talk about something upbeat, uh, something happy for once? Well, I actually think guilt has gotten a little bit of a bad name. Uh, I mean, I'm not for guilt trips and guilt manipulation, don't get me wrong, but the misuse of a thing does not mean there is no good use of that thing. Paul contrasts two different kinds of grief in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. And he's really talking about guilt here or grief over sin. And he says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, grief 
uh, that leads to confession and repentance, of course, leads to forgiveness. And what does forgiveness lead to? Forgiveness leads to joy. And, and here is uh, the, the one reason that we must talk about sin for our joy, or one of the reasons that we must talk about sin for our joy. Uh, look again at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Right? Blessed is the man. It means happy is the man. Right? Who is in a happy state, a happy condition? The man who is forgiven. The one whose sins are taken away. Now, it's important to ask, okay, well, what does David actually mean here when he talks about sins or transgressions? What does that mean? Often in our culture, we think of sins as those really bad things that people do, right? Sins are those things that other people do. Uh, we, we have a list, right? It's, it's murder and stealing and lying, or at least the really big lies, not the little white lies. Uh, and sometimes we have special lists, right, uh, of things that one group of people in our society thinks are okay, but we think are not. And that's what we consider sins. But Dave is not talking about a list of really bad things, nor is he talking about a special list of behaviors that, that we don't like. David is talking about breaking our fellowship with God. Cheating on God, if you would, right? Going against our Father in heaven. And so transgression is talking about rebellion against God or rebellion against God's law. Sin, uh, the word sin may simply imply offending God in some way. Iniquity may imply a lack of respect for God's will, God's desires, God's purpose. And you see what David is assuming here is that, that God created us for intimacy with himself that's what we were made for, but we have rejected his rule in our lives, and we've sought satisfaction in anything else other than him. See, sin is personal. It's not a short list of do's and don'ts, nor, but it is uh, turning our back on our Father who made us and loves us. And similarly, we should notice that, that all of these words for forgiveness are personal as well. Forgiveness means God holds nothing against you. Uh, that he has received you to himself, that God no longer keeps your sin on record, your file has been emptied, right? He hit delete and no longer remembers what you have done. Forgiveness is a personal restoration to a personal God. This is the blessedness that David is talking about here. And it's this thought alone of being restored to intimacy with God with all of its implications that can give us a happiness that lasts something to really rejoice in. Notice this is also where the psalm ends, right? In verses 10 and 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now again, uh, what's interesting, as we had three words for sin and three words for forgiveness, here we have three exhortations to joy. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, when he talks about the righteous or the upright in heart, clearly he's not talking about the self-righteous or the perfectly righteous. He's talking about sinners, remember? People whose sins needed to be forgiven. He means those who are rightly related to the Father, those who have been restored to him through forgiveness and therefore in God's sight, are righteous. 
You know, the world delights, and we often delight in the world and in the stuff of this life. We delight in the stuff of or the praise of the world even. But this psalm puts our focus on our communion with our Father. That is where joy is found. Right? And, and, and that is that relationship that is restored through forgiveness. Forgiveness brings joy, a joy that will endure as we, as we know our Father's love. And yet this joy is often far from us, isn't it? As it was at times far from David. And so confession is for your joy, uh, but for the person who thinks confession is morbid, right? Remember, no, no, joy is the result. This is about joy. But why is this joy so often far from us? So uh, do not keep silent. Why? Well, one, forgiveness brings joy. But two, silence brings misery. And one of the reasons we have a such hard, a hard time confessing our sin is we don't want to let it go. I mean, sin is pleasurable after all. If it weren't fun, we wouldn't do it. Uh, nobody starts sinning by saying, this is going to be horrible. I'm going to hate it. It's going to destroy my friendships. It'll ruin my career. It will make me miserable day after day. Let's go. Sin is tempting. There is some pleasure held out. It may be a physical pleasure. It may be a relational pleasure. It may be a psychological pleasure. Whatever it is, right? Some pleasure is held out to us. That's what tempts. Some pleasure lures us and then traps us. Well, David sins. And he keeps quiet about it. And what is the result? Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. What is David describing when he talks about his bones wasting away and groaning all day long? He's talking about how guilt weighs on his conscience. He's languishing. Right? Ironically enough, he kept silent toward God, and so he groans all day long. And yet it's more than just internal guilt. Uh, it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Rather than being like, a, like, like the fruitful tree by streams of living water described in Psalm 1, David has become like a dry and weary land where there is no water. He doesn't know the refreshing presence of the Spirit, but the conviction of the Spirit. David describes this experience later in the psalm as well, in verses 8 to 9. He says, I, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Now, whatever verse 8, uh, whether it's meant to be God speaking to David, I will instruct you and teach you, or David speaking to us, I will instruct you and teach you, the point actually is the same. God provides instruction, teaching, counsel to his people. What happens when we ignore that? What happens when we stand fast in our sin? Well, God disciplines us to bring us back to himself. He uses the bit and the bridle to keep us close. David is saying, don't be a stubborn mule. God won't let you go, but his keeping you won't be pleasant. Remember, sin breaks 
relationship with our Father, what then is the purpose of discipline? It's restoration. God is drawing us near. Discipline is not God punishing us for doing wrong, but God breaking through our hard hearts to draw us back to himself. And here's the point to remember, right? That, that if you love sin, you may delight in the pleasures of sin for a moment, but it will not last. Sin brings guilt. And for God's people, sin also brings discipline. God's fierce love for his children, his dogged determination to draw us near, to not let us go. And to the person who digs in their heels on their sin and, and doesn't want to let go, the the. the, the uh, warning of this psalm is that misery is coming. If you will not listen to God's loving hand of discipline, the Bible says really even worse things are coming. Proverbs 15.10 says, whoever hates reproof will die, which is to say there, there is coming a day of reckoning. So do not keep silent. Why? Well, forgiveness brings joy. But silence brings misery. And so confess your sins to God. And third, honesty brings forgiveness. Uh, there's another reason that we hide our sin, which is that uh, we're afraid of judgment. I mean, if I share my sin with you, you might judge. If I share my sin with God, God might judge. Sometimes we're afraid to admit uh, our sin even to ourselves because we know that sin brings judgment. And the implication is if I'm a sinner... If I admit it, if it gets out, I will be judged. But what does David's experience show us? It shows us that honesty and confession brings not judgment, but forgiveness and grace. Look at verse 5. David says, I acknowledged my sin to you. Right? Having languished under sin's guilt and the conviction of the Spirit, David says, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. But by the way, the, the little word selah there at the end of verse 5, it's also the end of verse 7 and the end of verse 4. Uh, that word is, well, it's, it's, no one really knows what that word means, selah. Let's <laughs> say that to start with. Here, here's, here's, here's the best guess that I've heard. Uh, is it means pause to meditate on this, right? It means stop right there and think about what you just read. Don't just, don't just run over it. Don't just go to the next verse, right? Stop and think. And so notice where the word selah is, right? In this uh, chapter, uh, it's after verse four, you know, after David says, I kept silent and I wasted and I felt this conviction. And then David says, stop and think about that. And then here it is after verse 5 when David says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Stop and think about that. Again, we find here three words, this time for David's honesty. David acknowledged his sin and did not cover his iniquity and confessed his transgressions. But I want you to, to notice something that's interesting, which is at what point did God forgive David's sin? David said, I will confess my transgressions and you forgave. 
Maybe it's reading too much into it, but I don't think it is. Like the story of the prodigal son, while the son was still a long way off, uh, the father rose and had compassion. He didn't wait for the son to go through his speech, but interrupts to lavish his love and mercy on his son. In the same way, David barely resolves to confess, and God shows mercy. He just says, I will confess. Like the, like the prodigal son in the pits of the, you know, the pig field and decides, ah, I'm going to return to my father. David says, ah, I will confess. And God forgives. If the judgment of God, if the thought of God's judgment keeps you from confessing your sin, know that God is gracious. He's ready to forgive. He's seeking to show mercy at every moment. Now, you might wonder, okay, well, what, what, is, what is confession, right? What does this look like? Um, what do you mean by being honest about our sin? Well, the main idea, of course, is not hiding it, not covering it, not ignoring it, not excusing it. You confess your sin. You acknowledge it as sin. Uh, we're not talking simply about coming out of the closet, right? We're not talking about flaunting our sin, but confessing it. Lots of people flaunt their sin, but they're still not honest about it. By flaunting it, they deny its sinfulness. True confession, whether to God or to people, is not just saying, I'm sorry, but acknowledging the wrongness of your actions. It's agreeing with God that my deeds are evil and his punishments are just. And so I flee my sin and I run to God. To confess is to acknowledge your sin as sin. It's also uh, to make no excuses. It's not to say, well, I know it's sinful, but. It's to lay no blame, but to acknowledge your sin and to own it. My sin is my sin. It's not somebody else's sin. Nobody made me do it. There's a level of ownership here that many of us uh, don't have, uh, and many of us don't have the, the self-knowledge or even the self-awareness to achieve, right? We, 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 we are unwilling to even look at our sin, much less own it as our own. We must know it, admit it, and own it. As one person put it, freedom from guilt requires embracing it and so having it dealt with by the mercy of God. Well, what happens to the discipline? Uh, we just said that there are at times discipline. There is at times discipline for God's children and, and even worse, a judgment to come for sin. What happens to judgment when I turn to God? Well, the scripture teaches that Jesus took the full wrath of the Father for sin, that he himself had no sin, nor did he skirt around the issue of sin, but he takes on our sin, he carries it, and so bears it in our place. Jesus came and identified with us in our sin. He bore our punishment to its full. He identifies fully with me in my sin. He owned my sin on the cross. This is actually implied by the, by the very word forgive. The idea behind this word is to lift a burden. When you forgive someone, you lift a burden off their shoulders and take it onto your own. And think about it, if, if I owe you $20 and you forgive me that debt, who bears the weight of that debt? You do, by forgiving me. Right? You, you bear the burden yourself. You take the loss. When someone wrongs you and causes you pain, you want justice, right? You, you want them to make things right. But if you forgive them, 
you lift that burden of making things right off their shoulders. You accept that things will not be put right by them. You take the burden, the pain of the wrongness upon yourself. Right? Forgiveness is always costly. Well, then consider the cross. Right? When we come to God and acknowledge our sin, God forgives. He lifts the burden of sin off our shoulders and takes it onto his own. But the demand of justice stands. And so God meets the demand of justice in the cross, where Jesus drinks down the cup of the anger of God for sin. He takes our burden, lifts it off our shoulders, and bears it in his body in his death. God's love was such that he wanted to forgive sin, and so God sent Jesus that he might forgive our sins. God now stands ready to forgive. If you come confessing your sin and trusting in Jesus, you do not need to fear judgment. Rather, the writer of Hebrews says, you come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. And yet Jesus not only died for sin, but he rose from the dead, never to die again. In our place, Jesus is punished by the Father. He comes under the Father's wrath and anger for us. But in the resurrection, Jesus, in our place, is restored to fellowship with his Father so that he can restore us to fellowship with his Father as well. This means that the joy of sins forgiven is really resurrection joy, our joy that Christ our King, Christ is our King, and we are His people, we are in Him, and He is in us. And so when we are forgiven, we actually get a, a, a taste of what resurrection glory is like, what the full restoration of the Father to the Father will be. So honesty brings forgiveness, and as we've seen, forgiveness brings joy. And this is seen again in verse 7. Uh, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Right? The, the one who does not hide his or her sins finds a hiding place in God himself. Right? The irony, when, when we don't hide our sins, God hides them for us. When we don't cover them, God covers them over. And then we are preserved from trouble and surrounded with shouts of deliverance. Uh, honesty brings Forgiveness, deliverance from the punishment for sin and, and the joy that comes with that, right? The shouts of praise and rejoicing of the community of God's people who have been delivered and forgiven. So do not keep silent. Why? Well, forgiveness brings joy, but silence brings misery. And honesty brings forgiveness. Therefore, last point, now is the time for honesty. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we, we've been moving actually toward the center of the psalm. Um, we looked at verses 1 and 2, and then 10 and 11, and 3 and 4, and then 8 and 9, and 5 and 7. And now we get to the center of the psalm, which is verse 6. Verse 6 is, is the, sort of the, the physical, numeric center of the psalm, but it's also the center of the, the application, what David is driving home. And it speaks to, to one final reason we, we hide our sin and keep silent, Satan's last resort, as it were. And it's just two words. We see our sin. We know it's ours. We know we're supposed to confess it. And we think, eh, maybe later. You may know Augustine's famous prayer. Give me chastity, but not yet. Many of us find ourselves here, right? We love our sin. We want to hold on to it. We think, I'll give it up tomorrow. 
but tomorrow never comes. And notice the exhortation of verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. First, let me say that the word godly there, let everyone who is godly, uh, we, we hear that word and we tend to think uh, good people. We sort of insert good people for the word godly. That's not quite what David means. It's probably an unhelpful uh, connotation, right? The, the word translated godly can mean committed or devoted or even devoted love. Uh, it, it could mean either a devoted person or an object of devotion, uh, and so it could mean, let everyone who is devoted to God offer prayer to him. Or, let everyone who is an object of God's devoted love offer prayer to him. Uh, if it's the former, David exhorts us based on our commitment to God. He's saying, if you're committed to God, this is the way you should act. Confess your sins. Don't hide them. Don't pretend they don't exist. Don't play the, the good religious boy or girl, right? No, confess your sins. But if, if it's really the latter, David is exhorting us based on God's commitment to us. Let everyone to whom God is committed pray to you at a time when you may be found. Since God is committed to you, David would be saying, this is the way you should act. Confess your sins. There's no need to hide them. There's no need to pretend they don't exist. There's no need to play the good religious boy or girl, right? No, trust God and confess your sins. Pray to him at a time when he may be found. That is, seek the Lord while he may be found, right? Or in the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul says, God says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God promises to be favorable now. Now, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, now in light of sin born on the cross, now looking back to Jesus' first coming, but ahead to his second coming, now while we live and breathe, before we take our last breath and death's dark veil takes over, now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of favor. Come to God with honesty. Confess your sins. Find forgiveness and joy. If you're not a Christian already, now is the time. Now is the moment. Why do you put it off, right? What can you truly gain by waiting? Only the hardening of your heart and a greater burden of sin. You only make it more difficult to turn later. If you delight in the gospel, but an honest appraisal of your own sin has never really been a part of your Christian life, well, Jesus would say your, your faith may be shallower than you think. When trouble comes, Jesus warns it, it won't stand. Bring your sins to God today. Know yourself well enough to confess, and through confession, find forgiveness, and through forgiveness, joy. Or maybe you think, well, I, I've done that before, and so this is not for me. I've been there, done that, I've, I've confessed my sins. Uh, know that confession is a daily path to joy. It's, it's not one and done. When Jesus teaches his disciples to, pr to pray, he teaches them to pray every day, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And so as we see our sin and bring it to Jesus, we find freedom and joy today and every day. Let's pray that it will be so. Our Father, we, uh, we thank you that your arms are wide open, that like the prodigal father, you are waiting and watching delighting in your children. 
And Father, we pray that we would bring our sin today and every day, that we would bring it without fear, not because we're so great, but because you are so merciful. Uh, We pray that we would bring it in faith, trusting in the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin. And we pray that we would bring it with the anticipation of the joy of renewed fellowship with you, uh, restored communion with our Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.